Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm not used to mornings. We in San Francisco have worship at night. And um, so I'm slowly waking up on the way down here this morning. And a few of our folks from San Francisco drove down to be with you, to worship with you, and to celebrate this day. And they also look a little blittery-eyed, so it's kind of fun to be with you this morning. Um, And it is a precious day. It's a precious season for you as as a church, as a community, as a family. Um, It's precious because there's a lot of transition going on, and I know that in any kind of transition, there can be a lot of uh, just unknown uh, creates anxiety oftentimes, and and there can be pain associated with it. Um, The unknown can can make you wonder what's going to happen tomorrow, and uh, it's just, it's precious and tender in that way. It's precious and tender because uh, we get to uh, spend some time breaking bread and dining with, with, with Pastor Dave and Helen and the kids, and, and that's a precious thing to, to enjoy with them um, in their transition as well. Um, so there's just a lot of precious and tender things going on, and my prayer this morning and my prayer over the last uh, several weeks as I've been praying for you, knowing that I would be with you this Sunday, is that God would just meet us in the midst of this transition, and that you would find your heart encouraged and emboldened and strengthened. And so that's been my, my deepest prayer. Uh, Casey, when he uh, sent me the email about what you guys were studying, he said, you're going through Acts right now, which I think is phenomenal. And he said, you're going to be in Acts chapter 10. I said, great. And um, so we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10 this morning, and hopefully it'll be a fresh word from God to you today. So let me read Acts chapter 10, and uh, we'll pray a little bit, and then we'll jump in. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, Peter fell into a trance. He saw heaven and it opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, Asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, 
Three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? And the men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to, to ask you to come to his house so that, so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and, and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter said to him, Get up! Stand up! He said, I am only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with, our visit, uh, with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, and at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and who does right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all that were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and, and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. 
So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how Luke chronicles this powerful story. Thank you that it continues to speak to us today. And and as this community has been studying the book of Acts, we know that this is not just their story back then, 2,000 years ago. This is our story. This is our DNA. This is our experience. So, Father, may we hear from you again today. May you speak freshly into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's always a little bit of a risk for a preacher to read a passage that long. How many of you started thinking about other things during that? It's okay to be honest. You all paid attention the whole time? Okay. It's funny how our attention spans are cut so short, it's hard to to listen to a passage that long being read, but I hope, and I, I wanted to read it intentionally, because it's good for us to hear God's word being read. The early church, they would hear God's word. They, many of them couldn't read. They didn't have their own Bibles to look from. So they would hear the word being read, and it was the way that God spoke to them powerfully. So I want to challenge you. Find a friend, read with them, long passages out loud. Train your ear to hear God's word, because that's a powerful way to engage it. So that's not what I'm preaching about today, but I just wanted to share that. So this Um, passage um, I think is really powerful. One of my professors in seminary often talked about Acts being a book that's originally titled The Acts of the Apostles, but it could more accurately be titled The Acts of the Holy Spirit. The primary verse that describes what's going to happen in Acts is Acts 1-8 when Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come on you in power. And when you receive the Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is a book about the Holy Spirit's movement. The Holy Spirit establishing the church of Jesus Christ. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, it all begins. And that's what I want us to begin to wrestle with and think about as we look at this passage. This is a passage about the movement of the Holy Spirit. This is a passage about how Jesus builds his church through the Holy Spirit. So it's about the Holy Spirit. The second thing that that we're going to look at, at the very core of Acts, is that it is the Holy Spirit, it is Jesus who builds his church. Now, today we're celebrating 10 years of ministry for Pastor Dave. You have had amazing staff come through. When you look at Bobby and Steve and Rob and Abel, so many amazing staff come through this church and it'd be easy to say the staff built GRX. What we learn from Acts is that it isn't a person or a group of people that builds the church. It is God who builds his church. And it is good to acknowledge how God uses people and to celebrate how God uses people. And how God is using Casey and and Ali and the rest of the staff that are still here. It is powerful and important to celebrate how God uses people. But it is vitally crucial and important, especially in a season of transition like this, to recognize that it is not a person and it is not a group of people that builds his church. It is God who builds his church by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's like a perfect 72 degrees outside, right? 
Like it's, I think this is the best weather on the planet. How many of you moved here because this is the best weather on the planet? There's one proud <laughs> confessor. I was born in Colorado, and it's pretty beautiful there. In, in Denver, they have the most, the most sunny days of any city, and in the, in, in, they, they claim the world. Like over 300 sunny days a year. Um, then my family moved to Montana, where it was like negative 1,000 a lot of times during the wintertime. Um, the, the wind would blow so hard in the wintertime that you'd have a pat, patch of frozen grass right next to a snowdrift that would go up to the roof of our house. There are often times during the wintertime that we couldn't see our front gate because it was covered with snow and we'd just walk right across the gate into the house. There were, after some storms, we'd have to dig down into our door just to get in and out of our house. What made it worse? We didn't have a TV. <laughs> What, what does a first and second grader do? It was terrible. And then my family moved back to California. It was awesome. <laughs> Lived close enough to the mountains to go enjoy skiing because that was part of my youth and I loved it and I was close enough that I could water ski in the morning and ski and snow ski in the afternoon and if I wanted to or vice versa. It was such an amazing place to live. Now one of the things that living in a place like this, this, this paradise is that it's easy. How many of you plugged in your car to keep it from freezing last winter? Has anybody ever done that? Casey has. He, he knows. There's, believe it or not, there are some places on the planet that you have to plug in your car so that it'll start the next morning. Seriously. I know some of you are like, that, that can't be true. That sounds way too crazy. Now, Many of us have been around this area long enough where we have seen wealth come very easily as well. Back in the late 90s, you'd see a couple of people with a college degree in English get a six-figure salary, computer programming, and wealth was just coming like crazy. It was not uncommon for people to start in a company. Two days later, there'd be an IPO, and there'd be millions of dollars sitting on their ledger. We see how things come and go easily, but there's still this perception in our, in our area that it is fairly easy to build wealth. And it is. It is fairly easy by the world's standards to build wealth living in this area. There's still this perception that if you, if you just pound out a, maybe 100 hours worth of work to create a little app that goes crazy on, on iTunes and an app store that you can make a couple hundred thousand dollars with very little work. Many of you worked pretty hard to get into a good school and, and then from a good school you got a, you got a good job and, and you've got a lot of security and it was pretty easy. My wife is one of, someone that I respect almost more than any, well I respect her more than, definitely more than you. Um, <laughs> She was supporting herself when she was 15 years old, paying her bills. I don't know how many people have had to, to be emancipated and pay your own bills at 15 years old and to be on your own. It's incredibly stressful. Many of you have lived not necessarily easy lives, but you've had a lot of opportunities to have access to wealth and security like no one else on the planet. It's been fairly easy. 
I would say by the world's standards, this area is one of the easiest places in the world to live. The weather is easy. Its wealth is fairly accessible. There's a lot of easy things about it. The early days of GRX were fairly easy. It's like Dave and Bobby showed up and everything grew really fast. It was fairly easy. There can be an illusion when you live in a place that is easy, where your power has reached fairly quickly. If you work at Google or Facebook or any of us, Yahoo, any company that has incredible reach, you think a couple of strokes of your keys and you've got reach, you've got power. And when we live in that kind of place, we think it's very easy to do things that have a lot of power and have a lot of impact. And we translate that to the church and we think that we, by our power, because we've got power in every other area of our life, we, by our power, can start a church and see God do amazing things and we think it's about us. And then we go through difficult seasons and challenges and realize we, not by our power, we cannot build, God, build God's church. It's by his spirit and by his power alone. And I think that God allows us to go through seasons where he strips us of that illusion of control, that illusion of power, so that we recognize and get on our face before God and recognize that it's only by his power that, that God's church can be built. The kingdom of God cannot be built by human hands. The kingdom of God cannot be established by our efforts. The kingdom of God can only be established through our prayer and by the power of the Holy Spirit as he wills. This chapter in Acts describes the movement of the Spirit through Peter and through Cornelius and neither one of them expected it. And I want to challenge you this morning to continually let go of the illusion that you can build God's church. That your talent can build God's church. Only God's spirit can build his church. Only God's spirit can build his church. There was a pastor in Argentina who had watched communism come and take over China and Russia and, uh, and lots of parts of, of Asia. And he saw communism beginning to come into Argentina and he started to get scared because he saw the churches in those countries um, get shut down as communism came in. And as he saw communism begin to take root in Argentina, he began to realize that his church, his church's days were limited. So he began to, to encourage and empower the laity to begin to take ministry under their own power, to begin to recognize their dependence on the Holy Spirit, and begin to see how God could use them. And he began to move himself out of a position of authority from the church because he was realizing that communism could potentially take him away at any moment. And so he began to empower the laity for the ministry of the church. And to get them ready, he stepped away for a full year. Did not have any contact with his church. He put them into house churches. And he just sat back and prayed. That communism uprising died and uh, democracy came back into Argentina. And he realized it was safe to kind of reopen the church. So Juan Carlos Ortiz reopened his church and his church had grown like four or five times during that year of being shut down. And what he began to realize is when the laity is empowered by the Holy Spirit to recognize that they have the gifts, you begin to see God move in powerful ways. When we have an unhealthy dependence on staff or professionals 
it actually kills the church. And so today it's important that we celebrate what Pastor Dave has done. It's important to celebrate the, the power and the, the efficacy of the, of the other staff here at GRX through the years. But I want to challenge you with this. That God has called each one of you, gifted each one of you, and that not by your might nor by your power, but by his power, this church has better days ahead when the laity begins to receive the Holy Spirit and follow the Spirit's guide. So the, act, the book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who builds his church by the power of his Spirit, not by man. And as such, the Spirit is moving and preparing and blowing where it wills. And this is now not just as in Acts. Cornelius was a Roman officer. He was stationed in Judea. He was going about his normal duties. He, he was a God-fearer, didn't necessarily understand who Jesus was, but he was a faithful man who prayed and gave to the poor. He prayed on a regular basis. And God says, I see you. And now's the time. Peter, we know Peter's story. We hear it all the time. Here was a man that followed Jesus, had highs and lows, abandoned Jesus, betrayed Jesus, but also was faithful and used powerfully by Jesus. So here are two men in different places and the Spirit begins to draw them together in a supernatural meeting for something powerful that we have today. The Spirit moves as it wills. We can't control God's spirit. We can't, we can't harness it. We can't do anything to try and keep it in control. There's nothing that we can do about it. God is God and we are not and he moves as he wills. And this is what I think is important. And I've already alluded to it. Each of us are invited to join him in this work. Each of us are invited to join him in this work. I think one of the things that scares me through any transition or change is that it's easy to get discouraged. Has anybody in here fought discouragement? It's okay, raise your hand. Yeah. We have two. Peter, in one of his letters, says that Satan is like a roaring lion who is waiting to devour. God has called each one of you as you've received salvation from him. God has called each one of you. And the enemy knows how God can use you. And the enemy is scared of God's power through you. And the enemy wants to steal your heart from you and discourage you. The enemy wants to steal your heart and discourage you, to snatch it away from you. And I want to stand before you this morning and shout into you, don't be discouraged. Don't let the enemy take your heart away from you. This church has an amazing heart. Don't let the enemy take the heart away. 
You may not know what tomorrow brings, but don't let the enemy take your heart from you. Peter looked at Jesus in the eyes and recognized that he had fallen on his face before him and had betrayed him. He had lost his way. Peter didn't understand this kingdom that Jesus was trying to build. Peter thought that this kingdom that Jesus was trying to build was a kingdom of force. He thought it was going to be a political revolution. He didn't understand that it was a kingdom of shalom peace, a kingdom of salvation. Peter fell and was discouraged. Peter's heart was taken away from him. And on the beach, over some food, Jesus looked at Peter in his eyes and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, I do. But Peter's heart was broken, was discouraged. And Jesus gave him his marching orders, then go feed my sheep. At that point on that beach, years before this encounter with, or or at least months before this encounter with Cornelius, Peter had no idea that one of those sheep was this Greek centurion. This Gentile, this Roman. But Peter's heart was broken and discouraged. And if you find that your heart is struggling with discouragement, find that your heart is battling, know that there is an enemy who is trying to take your heart from you. And Jesus is right there looking in your eyes saying, hang on, don't lose hearts. I will use you. Hang in there. Peter made it a habit of praying the hours. He he prayed three times a day as any good Jew did. He didn't hear this vision or receive this vision that Acts 10 tells us. He didn't receive that vision on the first time he prayed. He prayed regularly. He sought God's face. He, brought, he came near to God and, and rested in him and continued to listen for his voice. And in the regular encounter with God through prayer, that's when God spoke to him. And so I want to challenge you in this season to seek God regularly. Don't lose heart. Continue to approach him in prayer knowing that God will meet you there. It may not be the first time. It may not be the tenth time. It may not be the hundredth time that he meets you there. But God will meet you there. Peter regularly prayed three times a day. And it was out of that regular encounter with prayer that this vision came. Cornelius, he didn't even know who this God was. But he also prayed regularly. He was faithful in it. The spiritual disciplines are crucial through seasons of transition like this. They practiced the disciplines and that allowed them to see when the Spirit was was beginning to move. And it was through their daily encounter with God over the course of time that they began to see what God was doing and they were ready to respond. Continue to seek God regularly. Three times a day, set an alarm, do something to encounter God regularly in your own space. God is inviting you, each of you individually and as a community, to join him. Peter, as he began to encounter this in prayer, comes up with this amazing phrase. 
He says, God has shown me. Verses 27 through, 20, through 29, Peter begins to see what God is revealing to him in this vision. And he says, God has shown me. God will show you as you seek him. God will meet you. There's a scholar from Seattle Pacific University that blogs regularly, and, and I just love this little statement that he says. He says, We are jars of clay. We are branches off of a vine. We are salt. We are lampstands. The metaphors Scripture provides for, for who we are to be in this world Clay jars, empty until they are filled. Branches function as a deliverer of what comes only from the vine. As salt in the world, we are to provoke thirst in people for water that doesn't come from us. As lampstands, we are we do not produce the light that we present in the dark and weary land, but As we are reminded of many times, there is indeed a light that will burn bright in the land. But there are needs, but there needs to be a people who will hold forth this light. People who will make people thirsty for living water. People who will stay attached, not to themselves, but to the true vine. People who will be willing in a world that wants more and more and more to be emptied out and stand as a witness in the world to a different set of values and a different set of priorities. You are jars of clay. You are branches off a vine. You are salt and you are lampstands. So it's God who builds his church by the power of his spirit And by his grace, he invites us into partnership with him through his power. And the last thing that I want to kind of bring out out of this passage is that God's love is limitless. So don't put conditions on responding to it. Think about how grievous this would have been if Peter had said, God, I can't go to Cornelius. He's a Gentile. I can't eat that food. And God began to speak into Peter's heart that there's something bigger. He began to show him three times, it says, and that confirmed it. In verse 34, Peter has the biggest epiphany that there is no favoritism. Sometimes we live in a church culture where we say, that's not the way it used to be done. That's not the way we did it before. But the Spirit will begin to move and begin to do new things and we've we've got to be responsive and obedient to follow the movement of the Spirit knowing that we can't contain God's movement, that he blows where where he wills, his love is limitless, and he calls us to follow that. And sometimes that comes just in regular relationships 
It's easy for many of us to have friends that look a certain way or act a certain way or have a certain educational pedigree where we show favoritism that way and we limit the movement of the Spirit because we're limiting those whom we come into contact with. Sometimes we show favoritism around a different worship style or a way we do ministry, but maybe God's beginning to do something new in this season. It's easy for us in our humanity to show favoritism. If you haven't gone on Journey to Mosaic, I know that, that you're, some of you are planning, or, or at least the staff is hoping that many of you go on this. I want to challenge you to go on this. We took a team out of San Francisco a couple of years ago, and it was such a powerful experience. And one of the things that we began to discuss, my partner, who is, who is an African-American brother from Sacramento, um, was, was sharing about some of his pain, and, and some, of, some of the people from, from GRX San Francisco were sharing about some of their journey. And there became an exchange between one of our brothers from San Francisco and my partner, this African-American brother from Sacramento, dialoguing about some of the tensions between the Asian-American community and the African-American community. And as they're dialoguing, what came out was something that was a little bit of sacred ground, and I, I might be stepping in it a little bit here, but I'm going to step in it. They began to describe how their parents, our Asian-American brother, how his parents had said, you can marry preferably someone from this country. Second place would be somebody from this country. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And then, if you have to, maybe somebody from this country. And, and our Chinese-American brother who was sharing this was just kind of sharing honestly. In their, and as he shared the list, for, for, for his family, it was, it was Chinese at the top. And then it was, it was Korean. And, um, and then, it kinda, then it was white, and then it dropped off after that pretty quickly. <laughs> And the African-American brother that was sitting there very gently said, it is black on that list. Similar quiet in that conversation. It was like this African-American brother was realizing what he intuitively always knew. that they weren't even a people, at least in this particular family. Not even acceptable. The Jews looked at Gentiles as not even a people. Peter, in his religious former state, would never have walked into the Gentile house. It was unclean. And this incredible conversion that happened was the conversion not of Cornelius, but of Peter. The realization that the gospel shows no favoritism. Cornelius just needed to understand who this God was that he was worshiping. Cornelius wasn't converted. Peter the disciple, Peter the apostle, was the one who was converted that day. The gospel penetrated Peter's heart in a new way and he began to realize that in Jesus Christ there is no favoritism. Peter was converted. 
And Cornelius went from being an other with an incredible wall in between to a brother. From an other to a brother. And that's really what Acts 10 is about. Is that God's love is limitless. And our hearts, because our human disposition, our sinful disposition to show favoritism, our heart blocks the movement of God's love because of our sin. And I want to challenge you in this season to look very courageously at the favoritism within your own hearts and ask God to begin to break that down and to fill your heart with the love for every single human being. It may not be racial. It may be educational. It may be socioeconomic. It may be a favoritism for Northern California over LA. Amen. <laughs> Beat LA. But for God's spirit to move in and through your life, for his power to be evident, you have got to attack and address and crucify the favoritism in your hearts. That's the conversion in Acts chapter 10. I really, and I share this with our community a lot in San Francisco, I really like to eat. My mom um, makes this rice that my sister and I grew up fighting over. Literally. Like, we would have our serving on our plate, and then we'd go to the kitchen, and we'd start spooning in the rest. We just really loved this rice that my mom made. I learned uh, a couple of recipes that I really enjoy. One of them is a, a jambalaya recipe, and I love when there are leftovers. It's awesome to have this big pot of, of deliciousness, and it's better the next day, and it's better the third day, and there's something really precious about that. But there's something interesting about food. Especially food that you love. Now, I can eat my jambalaya the first night. It's delicious to me. I can eat it the next day for lunch. It's even more delicious because all those flavors just begin to kind of come together. It's awesome. The third day, it's incredible. But I got to be honest with you. By the fourth day, I'm getting a little tired of it. If there's a lot of leftovers, I kind of look at it in the kitchen and I just push it back to the back of the refrigerator. Because I need something new. Now, a bigger confession is that I hope that my wife will see it in the back of the refrigerator and that she'll clean out and that I won't find the moldiness and have to clean it out. But we need in our faith new food, new wind, new seasons, new mercies, new movements, new manna. We need newness. Oftentimes, spiritually speaking, we'll taste something that is so good on our lips. And we want to recreate that spiritual experience. And we start living off leftovers. Sometimes there's a song that God totally speaks to us in, and we love that song. It becomes our favorite worship song. And every time you see it go on the slide, you're like, yeah! And you start singing, but over time, that song loses... It's power because we need something new. 
We need new mercies. We need new movements, new manna. We need something new. This morning, I think, is an important mark to celebrate the power of God's movement in the past, but also to anticipate and recognize new movements in what God's going to do in your life and through this ministry. We can celebrate and create an Ebenezer, a pile of rocks, and celebrate what God has done, but let's begin to pray for new mercies and new wind, fresh fire in this place. If Peter had been living off of old manna, he would not, his heart would not have been receptive to this new movement of God to see something new, for this wall to be broken down in his life, and for this new conversion by the gospel in his heart. May we all be reconverted today. May we all have new conversions next week. May we all experience new conversions next month. May we continue to experience new mercies, new food, new manna. If you try and live off the old, it grows stale and you get tired of it. But God wants to do a new work, a fresh work in you and through this ministry. Let's anticipate it. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's wait with anticipation. And Acts 10 is a reminder that God brings newness, new conversion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. And I pray your blessing on this community that you would comfort them if they are discouraged and they would experience new mercies this morning. That you would hold them and comfort. Father, I pray that we would dream new dreams. See new visions. Hear new words. And Father, many of us need a new conversion even this morning. Even if we've known you and walked with you for a long time. Convert us again by your grace and by your power. May we have the humility that Peter did. And the courage to receive it. And it's for your glory alone, by your grace alone, by your power alone, that we have life and hope. May we celebrate you in that today. In Jesus' name, amen.